go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks for singing with us. Uh, we're going to be in, let me grab a, something to sit on here. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning, um, the gospel of John, that being the fourth of four gospels in the New Testament. Um, if you have ever wondered about the things of faith, if you have ever asked a question about, is this really how it is? <laughs> um, if you've ever been confused, if you have ever not been certain at all if something was actually true about, about the things of faith, even if faith and God and religion and whatever else is even real or, or worth, worth time to consider, um, which are very real feelings that plenty of people encounter. Um, this is an exciting passage for, for us this morning, if, if, that is, if that has been ever true, if even that's true right now, if that's ever going to be true one day, if you've ever been doing your best to follow, doing your best to believe and have faith, but you just, you just don't know sometimes. Um, today's character... In the, in the passage we're going to read, his name is Nicodemus, and he helps us. Uh, Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus helps us, as well as this overarching story of Scripture, this story of God and the people of God. And so be encouraged this morning if you enter in with questions about life. Jesus is here to help. <laughs> if you... If you come this morning with questions of any kind, Jesus receives those questions, and he receives you with those questions as well, just like he does Nicodemus. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, if you're going to be using a Bible that's on the table in front of you, we're going to be on page 1,650. Uh, perhaps you have your own, own Bible or perhaps the app on your phone as well. Um, the author of the Gospel of John, in, in its entirety, heavily relies on instances of discourse, communication, dialogue, conversations, in how, um, how the author gets messages and points across to the reader. Uh, John chapter 3 um, ignites a three-pack of conversations in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, we have Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. John chapter 4, we have Jesus and his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. And in John chapter 5, Jesus has this conversation with someone who ends up being healed at a pool. There's plenty of other conversations that take place in the Gospel of John, and that's something unique about John, is he relies on conversations between Jesus and others in order to get a message across. And so John chapter 3 is no different. Um, if you would follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 17, there is probably going to be some familiar language in this passage if you have a history with the Scriptures of any kind. Um, 
arguably the most well-known verse, will pop up towards the end. But allow me to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they were born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe before I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we will stop there. This passage is a mysterious one. If you feel like you heard it recently, um, the, the first week of our series in September, Nicodemus came up. Um, if you recall a series that we had entitled Take the Lid Off, where we considered some passages on what it would look like for us to take a step of faith and remove the ceiling that might be on our obedience, that might be on our faith and whatever else. Nicodemus is someone that we talked about this last September. Nicodemus is also someone who pops up two other times in the Gospel of John. And that's an interesting thing to consider because our Gospel writers don't often bring about the same characters, unless, of course, it's one of the disciples or it's Jesus himself. We very rarely see a cameo three different times over. We see Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 3. We see Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 7, where he says to his Jewish ruling council colleagues, maybe we should hear this guy Jesus out. 
And then in John chapter 19, we see Nicodemus carrying the, the, at the moment, dead body of Jesus to the tomb with Joseph of Arimathea. So John is sure that we tune in to this Nicodemus character. Um, he pops up in three different moments, and I think that that is on purpose. But for now, we have John chapter 3, and it's very mysterious. A question is asked, a confusing answer is given, another question is asked out of lack of clarity, and a more confusing answer is given to that question, and here we are. We do get some buzzwords, of course, with you must be born again and, and things like that. But we're in the season of Lent, and so we want to view this passage particularly through the lens of the fact that we are, as a people, journeying to Easter, that we are, some of us, choosing to uh, fast something or and or choosing to add something. Either of those things, both of those things combined, whatever the combination, gets us into a position where we can really understand the suffering that Jesus went through. We do this because it magnifies the power of the resurrection all the more, and it magnifies the Easter Sunday celebration all the more. It gives us even that much more reason to celebrate. Um, so, we're in this mysterious season of Lent. We have this mysterious passage before us, and so we should ask, how do we journey with Jesus to the cross? How does this Lent thing work? And I think today's passage gives us a pretty clear answer. You must be born again. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Nicodemus was a very popular and powerful man. He had one foot planted in two different worlds, two feet, two worlds. He had one foot planted in establishment religion. We know this because he is deemed a Pharisee. Um, we've talked about Pharisees before, these, these hyper-religious, lacking-in-grace folk. He also had another foot planted in a different world, and it was establishment politics. We learn this because we read that he's part of the Jewish ruling council, which was a governmental governing body. Now, as a Jew, Nicodemus was not unfamiliar with the concept of being born again. You may read a little sass from Jesus this morning. In verse 7, um, hold on. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. You do not understand these things? <laughs> um, this, almost, this almost sarcasm from Jesus. The reason that he uses this kind of sassy language is because Jesus knows that Nicodemus is a part of this, this weird world where he is both expert in law and expert in religion. And so Israel, that's why he calls him, you are Israel's teacher. You're the one who's tasked to know the stuff. And yet you're confused by this? The reason that Jesus talks about this is because the imagery of being born again was not unfamiliar. In fact, when someone converted to Judaism, 
there was the imagery used of, of baptism in this day, and they were very clear and very plain to say, this person has now been born again. They have converted to Judaism. They are a completely different person. And so born again language was not lost on Nicodemus, making it all the more interesting that Nicodemus goes straight into, I'm a grown adult. How am I supposed to be born again from my mother's womb? Um, so it's a very interesting discourse. His lack of ability to understand this concept, we could speculate, could have been due to a hardness of heart, a posture that asks, there's no way that this is actually possible, right? There's no way that this can actually be a possibility for, for me, for us, for, for anyone who's already been born of their mother before. We, the reader today, know that you cannot serve two masters. You may be familiar with this passage later on in the Gospels. Um, this is what Jesus knows about Nicodemus, is that Nicodemus, we talked about having one foot in this world and one foot in another world. Uh, the nature, and I can't do the split, so this is going to be fun. The nature of establishment religion and establishment politics is that they both demand, by their very nature, the entirety of someone. Those two worlds do not share nicely, and they contradict each other in so many ways. And so by nature of that, Nicodemus, you could imagine this image of his feet getting more and more spread apart. If I were to keep going, I would eventually fall over, and so would all of us, unless someone can do the splits, which are not comfortable position to maintain forever, I could assume. <laughs> Jesus knows that you cannot serve two masters, and Nicodemus in this moment is probably starting to realize this. And I think in this moment, Nicodemus, like many of us, would probably be looking for an answer that some, somewhere revolved around a tip on how I can reconcile living in two completely different worlds. I, I would imagine that's what Nicodemus was looking for. Nicodemus plays his hand very clearly in these first three verses, where he goes to Jesus and says, we know that you are the Son of God. We know it. We're convinced. We've seen what you've, do, what, what you've done. We hear what you have said. We know that you are from God. No one else could do the things that you're doing. So surely you, Lord, here in flesh, would have the answer on how I can still be a Pharisee and still be part of the Jewish ruling council. And Jesus goes, you must be born from above. In order to journey with Jesus to the cross, we must have both feet walking together in love and humility going the way of Jesus. 
Jesus' answer to Nicodemus was not, I see that your feet are five feet apart. Let me give you a tip to get them three feet apart and two feet apart and one feet apart until you can live ever so comfortably with a comfortable posture. His answer is, everything needs to get flipped upside down. It's not a matter of being born into the world a different way. It is now a matter of being born from above. The Spirit must now give birth to you. So how do we do this? We must be born again. We must be born from above. Right, but how do we do this? Because <laughs> that's the confusion, right? I mean, that's, this is Nicodemus's confusion. It's the same as ours. You must be born again. Okay, yeah, I get it. But how? Well, you must be born from above. Okay, yeah, I get it, but how? So let's not ask how. Let's ask who. The Spirit. And let's not ask how or let's not ask when, but let's ask what. What on earth does this look like? If you happen to be in a scripture, jump on over to John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. This is going to be the passage that leads you right up to the beginning of John chapter 3. Interesting thing about how the writers of Scripture arranged their stories. We've said this before, and just a, 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 just a brief reminder is that these words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not being written down in real time. Meaning, the author of the Gospel of John was not necessarily following Jesus around and writing everything down in sequential order of when these things took place. John was likely written several decades after Jesus' earthly time. Several decades after. Now, we do have reason to believe that John differentiates himself from the other gospel writers, in that John may have actually been an eyewitness to some of these things. So we know that much, but we still don't know a ton of John. If we were to study it clo more closely, we may refer to John as the one whom Jesus loved. Um, interesting thing. Jesus has his earthly ministry. The author of the Gospel of John sits down and, and writes his account of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus some 20, 30, maybe 40 years after Jesus was on earth. And from some kind of memory, but also wanting to communicate the importance of the life of Jesus, structures the order of stories in very intentional ways. And so it's the passage before where we see Jesus clearing the temple courts. We get this very brief and wild scene in a couple of different gospel accounts. We get it one time towards the end of Jesus' ministry. We get it another time seemingly 
towards the beginning. And I am wondering if what it looks like to be born of the Spirit and born again is to get some spiritual tables flipped upside down. Could I speculate just for a moment? Could I just present that for just a moment and say that in order for us to be born of the Spirit, everything must be reoriented? Because this is what's happening when Jesus flips the tables in the temple. Is there were generation-old practices of people, Passover week, coming to the temple and offering an animal sacrifice. And you want to know what was happening just outside the temple courts? You could buy an animal to sacrifice at a horrendous premium. Think of title loan sharks, which are evil, literally evil, by every definition, unjust and, un- and evil. The same thing was happening outside of the temple courts. But it was normal. You understand how the same thing, even though it's unjust, can just keep happening until someone makes a stand and says, not anymore. We see it in human history. And as we reflect on certain parts of human history, maybe you've asked this yourself, how on earth were they doing that with a clear conscience? (laughs) But it takes a prophet. For America's history, it takes a Martin Luther King Jr., It takes someone who's willing to say, I know this is normal, but it doesn't mean it's right. And this is exactly what Jesus does in the temple. And I'm wondering if the author of the Gospel of John wants us to see that our born-again-ness, our initiation into this new life, this life of the Spirit, does not simply begin and end in the individual moment of receiving God's salvation. I'm wondering if the author of the Gospel of John wants us to see that it is not a mere baptism of water and birth of the flesh and then we have made it. I'm wondering if there needed to be some table flipping Now, that is not to assume that even one person in this room needs to have a table flipped for the first time. I know many of your stories, and I know that many of you um, have already come to the realization that God does love you and offers you salvation, and you have received that for your own. And because I know most of your stories, I know that you have marked that by water baptism. And that's beautiful. And I am by no means suggesting that we would need to be rebaptized. I'm not even using recommitment language, although I'm not opposed to that kind of a language. For many of us, what this looks like is live back into the story of your born againness. Remind yourself what that needed to look like before. Remind yourself of what that needs to look like now. Because what Jesus encounters in the temple is a pattern. What Jesus encounters in the temple 
that eventually props him, prompts him, excuse me, to mess everything up was a pattern that people just simply engaged in. And it got to the point where God in flesh and the person of Christ, who knew of the pattern, said, you know what? This pattern just needs to be stopped. This is no longer what the temple must be. So, to follow Jesus to the cross, we must be born again. We must be born from above. And maybe, just maybe, that looks like a couple of tables getting flipped within us. So, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, we're going to turn things over to the tables. We're going to turn things over to discussion. Please don't flip any of them. Um, that would make a mess. But um, what we want to do is we want to ask three primary questions. They're on the table guides in front of you. Um, what are you hearing? Um, what are you going to do about it? And how can we help you go about doing that? Um, we want to ask these things because we believe that in this moment of gathering, the Holy Spirit is very much present and in many ways could be speaking. And it could be through a prayer that we read earlier. Um, it could be through the lyric of a song, excuse me, that we sung earlier. It could be um, a line from Psalm 121 that was read earlier. Um, we, we believe that all of this is speaking to us. doesn't just have to be whoever gives the sermon. It can be all of these things boiling into something. So feel free to share. What are you hearing? Um, if you can discern within that conversation, what a beautiful thing it would be for us to be able to discern in that conversation, based on what you're hearing, what step could you take? What's that one next step that maybe you could take starting this week? And then the, the other question is, how can we help? How can your church family help? How can we be praying for you? Or is there something tangibly that we could do? Texting you once in a while, checking in, calling, whatever that looks like. So let's take the next 10 minutes or so. We do have time today, and we're thankful for that, to talk these things over. Um, anyone at your table you don't know, introduce yourself. Let's be good sharers. Let's be even better listeners, and we'll get back together soon.